Today's scripture reading will be from Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14. But whatever gain I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Would you bow with me? Holy Father, we come to you this morning rejoicing in how great and mighty you are, Father. We acknowledge you as God supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing, worthy of all praise and worship, Father. We love you, and we're so humbled that you have loved us. Father, we just pause in awe when we think about how much you love us, that you would send Jesus to live among us, to show us by example how to live, how to love you, how to love others, that he would live a perfect and sinless life. And by obedience to you, Father, and your will, because of our sin, because we could not live according to the design that you had laid out for us, Father, by our sin, we all have sinned. We needed a Savior. And Jesus, because of his obedience to your will, was able to be that spotless lamb. That he would die upon a cross because of what I've done and what each of us have done. His love for you was so great that the human side of him did not want to go to that cross. He begged in the garden, Father, let this cut pass. The Hebrew writer tells us that You heard that prayer, and the answer was no. There was a debt to be paid, my debt, a debt that I could never pay, Father. It's only by your grace, by your mercy, through the blood of Christ, that we have hope of heaven with you, Father. Father, this morning we rejoice that you raised him from the dead, that he defeated death, that he came out of that grave that he was seen by hundreds and that he arose back into heaven where he sits at the right hand of you, Father. And because we believe that, we do not fear death. We long for heaven with you, Father. We know that Jesus is coming 
And we want to be his disciples, Father. We want to live how he lived. We want to follow his example and proclaim to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. That others will see in us why we hope for what's to come, Father. Father, we fall short. We sin, continue to sin, even as we believe. And we're so grateful for your continued grace and mercy that you rain down upon us. Help us, Father. Help us to be stronger. Help us to live in ways that are pleasing to you. Help us to live like we really believe, Father, in all that we do. Father, be with us this week as we go about our lives. Let there be something different about us, that somebody would ask us, why do we have the hope that we have? And help us to be ready to give an answer when that time comes. Help us to press on. Father, we, uh, we pray this morning for our congregation. There are numerous situations here that people are struggling with. They're dealing with, with trials in their lives. We pray for the Fitzpatrick family who've lost Nancy this week, Father. We pray for healing and for comfort for them. Father, we, we pray for our family members that are dealing with illness. Even right now, many of those that have not publicly expressed what they're going through. Father, we pray that you'll be with each of those situations. Be with the doctors and the nurses caring for them. Father, use these situations like Marilyn Aiken is doing right now, Father, to proclaim her faith in you and of the resurrection to come. Father, be with the leaders of our country. Be with those in the Ukraine that are dealing with all of their trials right now, Father. We pray for peace. But most importantly, we pray that you are glorified in all things. Father, we pray that in the time to come, this hour, that we are worshiping you in a way that is well-pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our next song is on the PowerPoint only, in Christ alone. We'll sing all four verses. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, Scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as 
has Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost <coughs> for I am his, and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. If you're using a songbook, the song of invitation after the lesson will be number 667. 667, there's power in the blood. The song before the lesson will be number 834. 834, salvation has been brought down. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. If you would please stand while we sing. <clears throat> Jesus gave his life a ransom yonder on Calvary. On Mount Calvary, cruel Calvary. Paved the way by blood that we might win a bright shining crown. Praise his holy name. Salvation has been brought down, O glory. Praise the Lord. Salvation has been brought down from heaven. Go and shout and shout and tell it to the world around. Go preach it and tell it today. Tell it today. Preach the word of God that we might win a crown in heaven. Tell the Lord, salvation is full and free. Spread the news all over the land and sea. Go teach it and tell it afar. Tell it afar. Praise the Lord, salvation has been brought down. There's a blessed home prepared way over in glory land. 
In bright glory land, blessed glory land, I have trusted in his love and now am heaven bound. Praise his holy name. Salvation has been brought down. Praise the Lord, salvation has been brought down. Go and shout and tell it the world around. Oh, preach it and tell it today. Tell it today. Preach the word of God that we might win a crown. Tell the Lord, salvation is full and free. Spread the news all over the land and sea. Go teach it and tell it afar. Tell it afar. Praise the Lord, salvation has been brought down. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that we can be here together to worship God. Brothers and sisters here at JA, of course, it's always good to see you. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, this is your first time in a church building in a long time. We're glad you're here. If you're here every time the doors are open, we're glad you're here. Up in the balcony, we're glad you're here. Young and old, we're just glad that we can come together this morning to worship God. Uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. So if you you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I would certainly encourage you to do so. Uh, the book of Philippians is really not a book. It's a letter uh, that a man named Paul uh, wrote about 2,000 years ago. He was what we refer to as a missionary or a guy who went around and he went around a lot. He didn't just stay in his local town or where his hometown or that sort of thing. He didn't just go to the next neighborhood. Uh, he went all around basically just about the whole known world, all around the Mediterranean, especially in Rome and Greece and Asia. Uh, he, he traveled around many times, took a number of trips around telling people about Jesus. And one of these uh, people, one of these places was the city of Philippi. And he writes this letter about 30 years after Jesus leaves the earth. And he writes this letter from prison. And that's important for us to remember and note as we begin in Philippians chapter 3 here in just a few minutes. So a man named Paul wrote a letter to some Christians in the city of Philippi who he had met with at first and told them about Jesus and introduced them to whom Jesus was. And then later on, primarily because of him preaching Jesus, the Roman officials throw him in prison, and he writes this letter to the Philippians from prison. If you have your Bibles, again, Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of those uh, black books on the pew in front of you, and it starts on page 981, page 981, if you want to turn there. That'll make it easy for you. Philippians chapter 3. Remember, this man Paul, this missionary, this follower of Jesus, he writes this letter from prison. That's important because the very first thing he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Now, I don't know. I, I've never been in prison and don't plan on going there. Uh, maybe you have been. I, I don't know. That's possible. But we would think that going to prison, being in jail, would not be a, a, a joyous experience. But he says, look, rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, the very next chapter, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. This man, Paul, 
a man who had been beaten because of his faith in Jesus, a man who in the midst of his travels for Jesus had been shipwrecked three times, a man who had been uh, beaten and left for, for dead, as a matter of fact. They, they thought they had stoned him so much, they thought that he was dead, and now he's in prison, writes a letter and says, rejoice. We want to think about this morning, how in the world did this man, Paul, have joy? Because I don't know about you, but that's something I'd like to have. I'd like to be able to have joy. I'd like to be able to find joy in all aspects of my life. Now, your life, like my life, isn't perfect. You've got struggles. You've got difficulty. You've had tragedy happen in your life. So I imagine that you, like me, would find joy and a joyous attitude and the ability to rejoice despite your circumstances would be something that you would find valuable. You'll remember the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, right? Where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, how in the world? What was it about Jesus? What was it about his faith? What was it despite his circumstances that Paul was able to find joy? We're going to walk through Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14 this morning, make a few points, uh, see what scripture says, and I hope that you will take from this lesson something that you can take out of this building and carry with you throughout the rest of your life. And I hope that is joy. How did Paul have joy despite all of his circumstances? Let's look at verses uh, 2 through 6, and let's think about the, the, the uh, pressure of perfection. But before we get to the scripture, I want you to think about this. Have you ever felt uh, the, the pressure of perfection? Maybe at your job, uh, maybe on a ball field, maybe with your spouse, uh, maybe uh, with your boss, uh, maybe in the, the classroom when you're trying to take a test. Have you ever felt the pressure of perfection, the pressure that you have to do everything just right? Now, I played, as I've told the congregation here a couple times, I played far left bench on my high school baseball team. I was pretty good at it, uh, keeping score and keeping the scoreboard. That's about all I did. But we had a, a third baseman who was a friend of mine. I grew up with him, and, uh, and he was a, a pretty good baseball player. He wasn't fantastic, but he was a pretty solid baseball player. Great third baseman. He could hit for power. He did a, a pretty good job. Uh, but he had, from, from my estimation, looking a little bit from the inside out, but also being with him just about every day at practice, he had tremendous pressure on him. And this pressure wasn't necessarily get a scholarship and go play ball at college or, uh, you know, to, to grow up and be in the major league one day. It wasn't anything like that. No, he had, he had a mama that expected him to play perfectly constantly. And when he didn't, in the middle of a game from the stands, she let him know that he didn't. I, I can't, I, I haven't heard people on the other team talk as much smack about our players as I heard this mama talk about her son. The pressure of perfection. And, and, and I guess maybe she had spent a lot of money for him to go to these baseball training camps and uh, you know, learn how to hit better and field better. And, and maybe she just wanted uh, uh, you know, something out of her investment. I don't know what it was, but any time, if he missed a ball, if he made an error, if it was a, a ball that he probably couldn't even have gotten to, but he didn't get to it, if he struck out or hit a pop-up, and, and if he just didn't do everything right... In the middle of a game, she would say, Hey, PJ, you got to do better than that. Or she'd say other things. It would be worse. The pressure of perfection. Have you ever felt that? 
Maybe you didn't have a mama like that on a baseball diamond, but maybe you've had a, a boss like that. Maybe sometimes your spouse is like that. Maybe sometimes your parents are like that. Maybe sometimes you've got teachers like that. I think in some form or fashion, we, we have all felt the pressure of perfection. Now, some people do really well under pressure, and some people don't do very well at all under pressure. The pressure of perfection. Let's look at verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, first of all, listen, you need to be aware. I want to I warn you that there are some people out there who do not have your best interest in mind. Some of them are doing it purposefully. They're, they're dogs. They're evil workers. Some of them don't even realize that they're doing it. But they're not helping you at all. But they're looking at you and they're expecting you to do exactly what they think is right all the time. And he says, he talks about this this word circumcision. Some of us are familiar with that. Some of us might not be. Circumcision was a a sign of a promise that God made to some folks in the Old Testament or the the older part of the Bible. It was a a physical uh, removal of the foreskin that was a a sign of this promise that God made with man. uh, That he would bless him and, and be with him, okay? But he says, listen... And he's talking about those people are the, the false circumcision. Really, that word that's used for circumcision there, it's, it's interesting. They're, same word translated into English, two different Greek words are the words that were rid, originally written. The first one says, beware of the people of the mutilation. The people who have mutilated themselves in a physical way. Because we are of the true circumcision. And what he's talking about there is what Paul refers to in the book of Romans is a a change of heart or a circumcision of heart. He says, look, some people, they are putting confidence in their flesh. They're putting confidence in their own ability to be able to follow all the rules. They're putting their confidence in their own ability to perfectly be who God wants them to be, to follow every single rule, to check every single box. And he says, no, but that's, that's not what it's really about. We need to be about people who have a change of heart, a life change that goes from living for whatever we might be living for, whatever your desire is, whatever you're passionate about. And he says, we want to be people who are passionate about God. We're passionate about Jesus. If I believe what the Bible says about Jesus, then I need to be passionate about what Jesus says that I need to follow and how I need to. To live, But the point of it is, probably the most important part of that whole passage, in, in verse 3 he says, We are a people who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and here it is, and we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, what that means is, I realize, like if you look in your own life, you'll realize that I'm not perfect. Uh, again, we have some people here who, who maybe have never been here before. Uh, please, please, please do not think that anyone in this room is perfect. We are not. We don't claim to be. We have no hope of being perfect in and of ourselves. We believe and trust in the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sins and that makes us righteous, but we by ourselves, we fall woefully short of anybody's expectation for perfection. We are not perfect people. We're just trying to follow a perfect God. But notice what Paul says in verses 4 through 6. He says, you know, I, we, we are a people who, who put no confidence in the flesh. But then he says, 
a little bit, if, if you didn't know who Paul was, and, and if you're not familiar with Scripture, this might come across a little bit uh, like he's bragging. And in some ways, he, he's pointing out some things he's got going on for him. Notice what it says. Although I myself, Paul says, might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Let me put that in simple words for you. If there were boxes to check, Paul checked all of them. All right? If there was something, some, some boxes to check to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, look, I'm not putting confidence in the flesh, but if anybody could, it'd be me. That's what he's saying. He, and he runs through this, this list of things that probably don't mean very much to us, but to the Jewish audience and, the, and the, the culture that he grew up in, those things would have been super impressive. But he says still, I put no confidence in the flesh. Let's notice thirdly this morning that Christ, in Paul's estimation, Christ is greater. Look at verse 7. Uh, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. First of all, Christ is greater than, well, what is Christ greater than? Christ is greater than the good in your life. Now, you're not going to like that. You're not going to like that idea. If you're not a Christian already, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you're not going to like hearing that. But Christ is greater than the best parts of your life. Christ is greater than the best parts of your life. Paul looked back at his life and he says, Look, if anybody had things going on, if anybody could check all the boxes, I could check all the boxes. We know from, from uh, biblical history and secular history that, that Paul, who, who used to be, he went by the name of Saul, he was someone who was, who was a, a quick, quickly rising through the, the ranks of the Pharisees, a religious group in Jerusalem, a, a powerful group in Jerusalem. He was, a, he was a powerful guy looking to be and on his way to only becoming more powerful. And he says, look, Christ is greater than all of those things. All those things that were gained to me, I count those things as lost. Then he says in verse 8, he says more than that. He, He raises the stakes a little bit. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. So he says not only are the things that were good for me in my life, but anything Anything that is possible, anything that could be in my life, I count those things as lost too. Now, he says, look, look what it says there in, in chapter, verse 8. He says, uh, I suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. When you hear the word rubbish, what comes to your mind? Don't British people call the, the trash can a rubbish bin? I think that's what they call it. That's what I think about. And when I think about people speaking in a British accent, I think, oh, that's kind of neat. Right? I, I wish I could talk in a British accent. It's kind of, I don't know, it just sounds different, so it, it's kind of neat. But listen, it, it's, not a, it's not a rubbish bin. The word here is talking about dung. It's talking about excrement. excrement. It's talking about the, the worst and the dirtiest. He, he says, not only do I, I count the things that were, were gained to me, loss, but anything that could have been, anything that I could have gained in this life, when I compare it to having Christ, to knowing Him, to gaining Him as my Lord, it is worthless. It is something, not only is it worthless, it's something I don't want to have. It's something that I don't want to have as a part of my life. Not if it means giving up or losing what it means 
to have Christ in my life. Christ is greater not only than the good in your life, but Christ is greater than all things. Now, again, that may sound like, I don't know about that, Andy. I've got a lot of things going on in my life. I've got a lot of good in my life. I don't know that I would want to, to give up this for that. So why would we give up this for that? Notice fourthly this morning in verses 9 through 11, some things that we gain by following Jesus. Verses 9 through 11. Again, at the end of verse 8, he says, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, this is, uh, this is deep right here. We may not even realize just how deep it is. But remember we talked about the pressure of perfection? How, how people may look at us, how family members may look at us, how people at our jobs may look at us, at school may look at us, and how many of us think God looks at us. Many of us think that God looks down at us and is just looking for us to mess up one time so that he can say, yeah, I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd mess up. I knew you weren't worthy. That's not the God I serve. That's not the God of the Bible. And if you've been told that's the God of the Bible, I'm sorry. That's not the God I believe in. That's not the God who sent Jesus to die. Our God is a God who makes us righteous when we have no hope of being righteous ourselves. Our God is a God who knew you would never be perfect. But he wasn't angry about it. He was just sad about it. So he sent a way to fix it. And that way was Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. The God we serve is a God who loves us enough to come and die for us. And this righteousness that we have, if there's anything right about me, it's not because of me, but it's because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And my faith is not simply a belief. It's not just that I believe that there is a God or I believe that Jesus was a real person or even that I believe in the, that he's the resurrected Son of God. No, my, my faith leads to a change in my life it leads me to strive to be more of who god wants me to be verse 10 that i may know him and the power of his resurrection the power of his resurrection and again as has already been said today many folks are thinking about and focusing on the resurrection of jesus today i'm thankful that people are thinking about and focusing on the resurrection of jesus today but let me suggest to you that the power of the resurrection is that our lives change every day. That when I gain Christ, when I know Him as my Lord, that my life every day changes. When I became a Christian and as I live life as a Christian, and I don't live a perfect life as a Christian, but I strive to live a faithful life as a Christian. What does that mean? What's the difference? That means when I mess up, I say, God, I messed up and I own it and I admit it. And I ask him to forgive me and I trust that he will forgive me because that's what the Bible says that he will do. But when I become a Christian, there are some benefits that go along with that. Some of those things in a, in a very brief, because we don't have time to talk about all the benefits of being a Christian, but in a very brief discussion on benefits of a Christian. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If we follow Jesus, then the, the Spirit of God dwells within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit has given us His Word. Uh, the Spirit of God is active in our lives. And He says we got this fruit of the Spirit. And those things, there's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to focus on the first three because I think they're the ones that benefit me the most. The other six, I think they benefit other people. If I display those other six in my life, you will, your life will be better for it. But love, joy, and peace. Because of my relationship with Jesus, I know I'm loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know because I'm a follower of Jesus, because of the power of the resurrection, I know that I am valued. Maybe not by you. Maybe not by people that I love. Maybe not by people that I would like to be valued by. But I know that I'm valued because God gave his son to die for me. Because of that, I have joy. Now, listen, it's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters and friends, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Do you hear me? Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Christians are not always happy. Christians go through difficulty and tragedy and trial and suffering the same way you do. Happiness is not what God is concerned about. He's concerned about our holiness. He's concerned about how we are following Him. But I can always rejoice in the Lord always Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 again he says I will rejoice he's writing this from prison is a man who has been beaten and left for dead and shipwrecked three times and gone through terrible tragedy but he says I will rejoice I can find joy in all of my circumstances despite the situation because of the power of the resurrection and then peace in a world like we live in today that's full of turmoil and difficulty, and tragedy, and where people are confused about what's right and what's wrong, and arguing about it, and fussing about it, from, from, our, from our grade school to, to wars in the world. The peace that passes understanding that God gives is one of the greatest benefits of the power of the resurrection. Listen. Because Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and arose victoriously from the grave. Every night, I can lay my head on my pillow, pillow and sleep well, despite whatever circumstances may come my way. That doesn't mean I don't have cares or concerns, but it surely helps me not to worry because I know there's something else, something better ahead and even today. The power of the resurrection. Verse 10 again, it says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The power of the resurrection changes everything. It changes my life. It changes my action. It changes my focus. Because it goes on to say, and I know Him. I've gained Him. I know the, the power of His resurrection. But not only that, but also the fellowship or the participation of His suffering being conformed to His death. Now listen. Not everything about being a Christian is easy. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I'd love for you to be God's in His Son so that you would be saved from your sin by being a follower of Jesus. But not everything about being a Christian is easy. It's just not. We conform to His death. We share in His sufferings. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What does that mean? To the best of my ability, my imperfect ability, every day I try to make a decision between me and God. And I try to choose God. 
Because I know if I follow that way, it will lead to where I want to go. And I have some experience that if I follow my way, it doesn't lead very well. It doesn't lead me to a good place. That's my experience. Yours is probably the same. So I've been conformed to his death. I've died to myself and I live for him. Notice lastly, that we as Christians need to make sure that we press on. And that when things get difficult, if you become a Christian, you need to make sure that you press on. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the follower of Jesus, a man who, who witnessed Jesus himself. He says this after, as, from prison, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained the, the goal, but, or have already become perfect. But what I do is I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, what does that mean? Uh, remember, Paul says, I, I don't look back. And Paul's, Paul has some good things that he could have looked back. He could have went back, maybe he could have went back to, to Judaism, his old religion, his old friends, his old pals, and said, guys, I was wrong. That Jesus guy, I'm not following him anymore. Let, let me back in. Let me back into the club. Let me back into to, to your way of doing things. And, and maybe he could have recovered. And maybe he could have, he could have uh, gained his, his, his clout again. He could have relied upon himself. And remember, he was blameless, it said. He says, no, I'm not looking back on that. Because it's not worth it. There's something better. There's something more that I'm looking forward to. Christians, let me remind you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here, let me tell you. Being a Christian is not the easiest life, but it is the best life today, here on this earth. If you're a Christian, you'll be a better husband or a wife. If you're a Christian, you'll be a better parent or child. If you're a Christian, you'll be a better co-worker or boss. Not perfect, but better. And more importantly than that, I believe, as many of us here today do, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus my Lord. I believe that one day, either before I die or one day after I'm long dead, that Jesus Christ will return to this earth and he will, we will stand before him in judgment. And he'll look at us and he, he'll know everything. He'll know everything. He'll know things that nobody else knows about you. How scary is that? And you'll have to give an account of those things. You'll have to tell God why you did those things. And the fact is, every person who stands before Jesus will have something, likely many things, that we're ashamed of. But for those of us who are Christians... Not perfect people, but followers of Jesus. We'll have someone come stand beside us on that day. They will look at his Father God and say, Yes, God, Andy is a sinner. And he's done some pretty rotten stuff. But he put his faith and trust in me. That I would do what I told him that I would do. I died for Andy. I rose again for Andy. And he would say the very same thing for you if you're a follower of Jesus. If you don't know what it means or what it takes to become a Christian, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that.
if you believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God and you're willing to follow Him and let Him be the Lord of your life, the person who's in charge of making those decisions that when you choose every day between you or God, that you strive to always choose God, and when you recognize you choose yourself, that you repent of that. If you're willing to, to, to name Him as your Lord, to confess your belief in Him, and to submit to baptism where all your sins are washed away, then you can begin that journey that leads to heaven today. And I would certainly encourage you to think about that or to do it even right now. Here in just a second, Jacob's going to come and lead us in a song. This is our practice here. Uh, we lead a song. Everybody's going to stand and sing this song here in just a second. The reason we stand is, is to, to make it a little bit easier that if you want to come forward and sit on one of these front pews and talk to me or talk to one of our shepherds and, and let us know what's going on in your life, it just makes it a little bit easier for you to get out of the pew. So if you want to do that, we want to do that. But not everybody's comfortable doing that. I understand. I'll be in the back foyer uh, right after services. If you want to talk to me there, there'll be anybody who's here. would be happy to talk to you. And, and we won't tell you what we think. We'll strive to show you what the Bible says. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the Bible is the way to learn how to do that. Uh, brothers and sisters, we serve a risen Savior. Let's serve our risen Savior. If you're not a Christian today and you want to become one or want to learn more about that, we are wanting to talk to you about that. If you have any needs at all in your life today, you're welcome to please come forward as we stand and sing.